Welcome to Wake Up with Marcy and Hillary, a talk show with heart. We are so excited that you are joining us today. And I want to talk about a very important subject, and that's human trafficking awareness. And January educates and celebrates uh, on human trafficking. And I know you were on the board of Three Strands Global, which helps... It actually helps the victims. Doesn't help. It helps the victims and it helps bring them back into a life, a life that they can move forward in. And what really shocked me the most mm -hmm. was how prevalent yeah. human trafficking is yeah. and how we think it doesn't hit certain areas. Right. And it is rampant everywhere. It's all around us. It is all around us. And, you know, we sometimes go into the bathrooms at airports and we yeah. see. Well, there's a real reason that they are all over. Right. And it's time to really, I'm so happy that they are doing awareness around this because we all need to be looking out there and, and identifying and knowing the identification of yeah. what we should be looking for. So let me ask you, uh, how do you reintroduce someone that's gone through that into well, I don't know if you can call it a normal life, but into a productive life. Well, first and foremost, you have to make sure that we all realize there is a massive amount of trauma around it. Mm -hmm. And so we, there is an education around, they need to realize it wasn't their fault, right? right? Because a lot of times we have guilt there's a lot of guilt around when things, mm -hmm. especially when it has to do with sexuality and sexual in nature. Yeah. And so when you start to look at that as first and foremost, it's educating them, understanding that they have a future, yeah. that the past is not going to define them yeah. and helping them not push them into society, but ease them in with a loving community and a support system. Right. So it is, again, shifting the mindset and, and really working to heal that trauma, breaking away and, and stripping away the layers of pain. Of guilt and shame. Yeah, That's right, Marcy. It, it, it's so... In, ingrained in us when we go through something like that. And I don't think people understand. And and a lot of times people will be like, well, why didn't they run away? Or why didn't they get out there, uh, out of there? Why didn't they call someone? But, oh, there's so much behind there that yeah. it's grooming. Yeah, It's when people start to look at somebody who maybe is an introvert or is maybe having difficulties right now in their yeah. life, or you could just see them separating from their friend group. Mm -hmm. They're targeted yeah. and there are people that are targeted. And then there's always the, well, why me? Why was I the one targeted? Mm -hmm. What did I do? So the, again, it's, it's getting past that it's not about you. Yeah. And then understanding that they have this future, they have a life. And, and what's Three Strands Girl Global, I have to say, is an incredible, they do everything from taking, taking the women and men in, mm -hmm. and it, it doesn't just hit boys right. or girls, it hits yeah. boys and girls. And that's what's super important to know that. And we are going to learn so much more from our first guest, Rachel Foster from World Without Exploitation. As the largest anti-trafficking coalition in the country, they are working tirelessly to create a world 
where no one is bought, sold, or exploited. Rachel and her team are fighting to end policies and legislative changes that normalize the sex trade and protect those who perpetuate it. Their dedication to this cause is truly inspiring. And finally, David Karnafogel, the co-founder of Hindi's Libraries, a nonprofit that donates new and gently used children's books all over the world. We'll learn how the organization got started and how they've collected and distributed more than 475,000 books worldwide. We now meet Rachel Foster from World Without Exploitation. Welcome to the show, Rachel. Thank you so much for having me on your show. Wow, Thank you for so, the work you do. Yes, it's great to have you here explaining all the things that people can do out there in regard to this. Can you share with us about the work that's coming out of the world without exploitation? So we are a national coalition, the largest anti-sex trafficking coalition in the country, and we are made up of 200 organizations. Many of them are survivor-led. And we came to this as a tiny group of advocates uh, for women's uh, right to not be bought and sold in the sex trade. Mm. And we found that people were working in silos. All this incredible work was happening around the country, and it was not coordinated amongst groups. And we decided that we needed to bring everyone together to convene, to educate, to help and support organizations, particularly survivor-led organizations, to do the work that they were doing so well. So we've just grown and grown, and we advocate, we testify, we bring survivors together for education and training, and we work to really amplify their voices. Mm. And their experiences, having been trafficked for sex or in the sex trade, and really do whatever we can to support the shift from a society that sees prostitution as inevitable and that there will always be women and girls bought and sold to one that really thinks about this as harmful as not victimless, and that we have the power to really reduce the demand for paid sex and go after those who are fueling this incredibly brutal and exploitative industry that ensnares children and ensnares the most vulnerable women and girls in our society. Yeah, let's and talk about talk that. Let's talk about the people, these young people boys and girls that are being affected globally and domestically. Because I think a lot of people don't think it's in their own backyard, but it's happening all around us. So how are we being affected by human trafficking? So we're all affected by human trafficking. We at World Without Exploitation work domestically because what what most people don't realize is that you don't have to be trafficked in from another country and you don't even have to be taken across state lines to be trafficked. If you're under 18, by law, you are sex trafficked if you are sold for sex. So you don't need to have any movement. 
You could be a young person who's from Brooklyn, New York, and your sex buyer's from Brooklyn, your pimp or trafficker is from Brooklyn, and you are still sex trafficked. And even though prostitution and sex trafficking are not one and the same, they're inextricably linked. People are sold into the system of prostitution. Right? So they're, they're trafficked into prostitution for the same end goal that women are in prostitution because of sort of a panoply of vulnerabilities. And you could even have a young person who's coming home for dinner, who's in school, and is still being prostituted out at night. And what we have often seen is that there's something called a Romeo pimp, where somebody befriends a vulnerable girl, somebody who has had a childhood of se- a childhood with sexual abuse, mm-hmm. who maybe has a family that has substance abuse issues or mental health issues, or they themselves do. They're in the foster care system. They're a runaway homeless teenager. And there are people who are incredibly predatory, and they come and approach these young people seeking to ensnare them in this next sex trade. After the break, Hillary and I will continue our conversation with Rachel Foster. Plus, how a nonprofit, Hindi's Libraries, is supplying books to children all over the world. Continuing our conversation on human trafficking with Rachel Foster, founding co-chair of World Without Exploitation. You see these things in movies, and now they're happening right in our backyards. And I know you had a certain situation with a massage parlor with your son, and this whole idea around massage parlors, nail salons with these happy endings. But is this really happening? Like, can you explain how this actually impacted your family specifically? So massage parlors are all over every city. And there are ones that really are essentially brothels, where women are there for shifts, and there is a trafficking network that is sending them to these massage parlors uh, all over the city or any city. So in my neighborhood, just around the corner, there was a massage parlor next to one that was sort of a no-frills one that was legitimate. And my son, who's a boxer, uh, was 17 years old, and he went in to get a massage from this one literally around the corner in a neighborhood that has beautiful stores, a wonderful shopping area. And he, because he had been a youth activist with World Without Exploitation, immediately sensed that something was very wrong. There was one woman there alone. Mm. He saw that there was a, a shower in the space. And the woman was repeatedly getting phone calls from a man who was drunk and waiting outside for her. Mm-hmm. And when my son came home, he immediately told me that I think that this is a brothel. Mm -hmm. And as we investigated further and ended up really having an investigative news piece done on it, 
we learned that it was really a, a central location for a trafficking network. So the number that was outside really was leading people to this central line, and they would d disperse a different woman every day who would do mm. her shifts, and mm. men would come at night after hours, and the cars would be parked along that street, and they would go in there. And this is happening all over, and you may not recognize it. You may not see it happening. Mm, this so, is crazy what yeah, is happening so, right in the neighborhoods. And one of the things that you say is law enforcement has a hands-off approach to human trafficking and prostitution. Why is this not a priority? So what we are really striving for is a legal system where those who are bought and sold in prostitution, those who are the victims, are given exit strategies and services and not criminalized. So we agree that those who are victims and those who are ensnared in the sex trade should not be criminally prosecuted and also saddled with a criminal record. But what we do believe and what is not happening in many, many cities is that the demand side is not held accountable. So that's the pimps, the sex buyers, the mm. traffickers, the brothel owners. And that is the problem, because when we have high demand, you're going to need the supply. And there's only a very small, let's just say, quote, voluntary supply of, of women who are in prostitution, who want to be in prostitution. We would argue that it's really a, a matter of the choice of the choiceless. But the demand is increased. And then there needs to be bodies to fill that demand. And that's where you have the nexus with sex trafficking and prostitution. So those people should be held accountable for the harms that they cause. And without a buyer, there is no business. Right. And that is normalized. That's really true. Without a buyer, there is no business. Right. Absolutely. So, you know, the, the statistics are showing that. 100,000 children, girls, boys are trafficked in America, ranging from 9 to 19. And it's completely staggering. I mean, mm -hmm. the average age, they say, is like 11 years old. Mm -hmm. and, and, and it's boys and girls. It's boys and girls. Yeah. And it, I mean, how frightening. I didn't even know this, it, that our own children can be going to school saying they're going to a job and, and actually they're going to work as a prostitute because they've been dragged into this. So there's so much work that needs to be done. And I thank you so much for all that you're doing. Tell us real quick how we can start to make a change. So one thing uh, on our website, worldwithoutexploitation.org, we have so many webinars. We have so many webinars with survivors who are really sharing their expertise and knowledge. And I would really suggest looking and learning. But also when these bills to decriminalize the sex trade in its entirety, which is decriminalizing pimping, sex buying, and brothel keeping, come to your city, speak up, vote against these bills, and say that you do not want an expanded sex trade in your community. You don't want it ensnaring your children and your neighbor's children and the children who are most, most vulnerable mm. in your town. And that 
what you do want is to not in, install a system where children could be ensnared and the most vulnerable people could be ensnared. So you want to go after the demand side. Well, thank yeah. you for all of the work you're doing in this and for all of the education that obviously so many of us need. We do need it. Yeah. yeah. Thank you again. Thank you for so all much. You all right. Thanks for coming thank on you. Wake Up. Next, we meet David Carnafogel, the co-founder of Hindi's Libraries. We'll learn what drove him and his team to collect and distribute more than 475,000 books to kids around the world. We now meet David Canterfogel, co-founder of Hindi's Libraries, a nonprofit providing books to children around the world. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's mm. such a pleasure to have you. We've enjoyed just hearing all of the things that you're doing these days. But can you share the story behind the inception of Hindi's Libraries? Of course. Um, so my late wife, uh, Hindi Krinsky, Dr. Hindi Krinsky, was a uh, doctorally educated educator who loved literacy education. That was her passion. Her dissertation was on using graphic novels to help kids get into learning how to read. Uh, she taught high school level um, English language arts. She passed away very suddenly um, a little more than five years ago. And in uh, trying to figure out what to do, we decided we were going to do um, one of those little free library boxes that you see around the take a book, leave a book, just to carry on Hindi's passion for reading and education and literacy education. Um, folks who started bringing us books to donate and put into this box kept coming. And suddenly we had hundreds of books mm -hmm. and way more books that can fit into our box. And we started asking around for, um, you know, per, uh, service partners and other organizations that work with kids who need books. And we just started giving them out. And the books have not stopped coming since then. Um, we're close to a half a million books collected in five years. Um, mm. uh, all of them um, taken, donated, uh, almost all by folks just, uh, you know, using their own children's books that they no longer need for their own kids, don't want to throw out, completely understandably. Yeah. They've put yeah. their own memory and faith and, and all of their parenting into those books. Um, and there are kids in this country and around the world that do not have good access to books. Um, yeah. And it really um, prevents them from achieving their literacy goals, from achieving their educational goals, and from really um, building on, um, you know, all the promise that education and reading has to offer. So we connect folks who donate books, that have books to donate, um, with other organizations around the country and around the world who work directly with underserved kids and families. Mm -hmm. um, we send our books for free uh, to those kids to take home. Um, I always say that we named our organization Hindi's Libraries, with a plural, uh, because every kid that goes home with a book starting their own library in their own bedroom that belongs to them. Um, they can feel proud of the, the book that they have that helps them, you know, sometimes the first step on that journey of learning to read and really getting an education and um, carrying forth Hindi's passion. It's so true. I mean, those are some of the most special moments I have had had with my kids. And there are so many families out there that that don't have this opportunity. I think it's pretty staggering that 61% of low-income families have no suitable books for children in their home. And 
we talk about creating change in these areas, and it starts with books、mm. and literacy. And there, so many children in low-income areas、uh, that don't read past a third-grade level, and Hindi's libraries, you're he- you're helping to combat this. So you shared so much, but how can others get involved so we can help to combat this ourselves?、Um, the simplest way to get involved is if you're in the New York area where we are based.、Uh, you can donate physically your books to us, and we will send them around. We have. Hundreds of partners across the country and the world to send them to.、Um, if you're further afield,、um, we can help you set up book drives.、Um, if you'll be in contact with us, HindiesLibraries.org,、um, we can help you do a book drive locally to have your own community collect books、um, and send them out.、Um, you, we always take monetary donations, of course, because every book we send is completely free of charge.、Uh, and the last thing you can do is start a little free library in your own community. Um, we've partnered with the official Little Free Library organization to、um, send books specifically to their Impact Library program, and that's Little Free Libraries that are set up、uh, in communities that are underserved in general. So there are always people around who need books.、Um, all of us parents, I think we we like like you, Marcy. I I also have tons of books for my own kids、um, and have all that time and and memory that I've put into those. Um, and sometimes it's time to move on and like help just keep building it forward. It doesn't require really much of anything, and we we can all participate in just、uh, handing that legacy of reading to the next generation. Well, David, you know I I have books that I read to my children, and you have this connection to them, and you don't want to just give them away. Let's say, or or you know, hey, just. You want it to go to a family that really is going to love the story as much as you did, and now you're giving us that opportunity. And so, how does handing a child a book change their life? I mean, I can cite statistics that I'm not a statistician or an educator, honestly, myself.、Um, so we could we could go through the statistics,、um, and they're all obviously very encouraging.、Um, that something like the number of books in the home correlates with academic and career success. Um, so you know we we can we can talk about it in raw numbers,、uh, but I think we all understand intuitively that education is the path to both personal and communal um, growth. Um, you know, you learn about yourself as you read books. Sometimes you see yourself in a character, or sometimes you don't see yourself in a character, and that itself、um, allows for some amount of growth. You see the folks around you in books, or folks reading certain kinds of books, and you have, now have access to. The community of science fiction readers,、um, and then of course, as you just learn to, as you learn to read, you, what you're really doing is learning to communicate. This is something I learned from Hindi,、uh, who really loved to teach writing in high school, and she said the first step for teaching writing is have clear ideas. It doesn't have to be the right idea, but it has to have a clear idea that you can go from A to B to C and dra- drag your reader along. That starts from learning how to communicate and how the language works. And how to uh, um, put your ideas in an order, and in a, a sometimes storytelling—I don't mean like telling a fable—but sometimes you're, you know, you're writing a persuasive essay, and you're kind of leading the person through the story.、Um, so really, reading is like the linchpin of all these things. You you cannot be a good scientist without understanding how language works, because、mm. you can't communicate your ideas with other scientists. You can't communicate、yeah. with the public.、Yeah. 
Um, same, same is true of every subject. Um, so like starting to read and learning how it works, um, finding yourself in a story. Again, it's, it's all about both personal and then communal growth. It is incredible. And, and it's also helping to break a cycle. And your organization is a beautiful example of the power that we all have when we mobilize and seek to create a solution to a problem. And it's incredible. Tell us um, the mission that's coming up, how we can get involved. Uh, we just have a, a minute or so left. Um, yeah, I mean, we're, we're like I said, we're reaching a, a half a million books. Which is, again, pretty, pretty remarkable considering that we started from not intending to do this at all. Um, again, you can get you can get if you're near local to us, we'll take your physical books and get them out. Um, please reach out to us if you want to do book drives and do other literacy activities um, in your own lo- local neighborhood. Um, start a little free library or even just bring your library books to your own library. Um, books never go away. Uh, they're always there and somebody needs them. You may not see the kids who need them. Um, yeah, you may be lucky sure in that sense. Are. I know that's how I am. Um, and then when we realize that folks really need them, so many kids need books. And getting our kids mm-hmm. involved in that. Yeah. That's really special. That's something they're they always looking. They can actually help exactly. with giving away their own books. It's so. like giving like their magic, giving a little bit yeah. of their magic and childhood and what they away. Love. Yeah. So thank you so much for coming David, on the show and for you. the work that you do. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Bye-bye and Happy New Year. Happy New Year. You too. Thank you so much for tuning in. Listen, for more information on these incredible guests that we had today, please go to wakeupwithmarcyandhillary.com. Keep in touch with us on social media as well. We are constantly putting things out there. We love to inspire you all through the week. Remember to be kind to yourself and others. And always wake up to your own possibilities. We'll see you next weekend. Bye.